Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? It's your boy JB with Reggae 360. Welcome. I know we talked last episode about how we're changing the format up. We're dropping these interviews when we get them. And today, we got a fire one for you. I'm joined by the usual cast, couple of legends, Brett Coleman, Evan Yarmo. Evan, you go first, man. How you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, JB. How are you, man? I like that energy, man. I like it. I'm doing fantastic as well. That's that's big energy to start the pod, Brett. What about you, man? How you doing? I'm always feeling good, but I'm feeling extra good today because we have a conversation that I'm excited to have. We got a very special guest. I'm going to let you do the proper intro because I don't do it any justice. So go ahead so we can get on with this because I'm, I'm damn excited for the conversation, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I'm stoked right now because we are joined by a true monster in the game. This man is a living legend. He is part of reggae rock music history, and he is also someone who is currently helping pave the way for the future of reggae and reggae rock music. You bring up his name and people show respect. He's truly connected. He's an influencer, an innovator, a man that pulls the strings behind the scene, a man that knows more about the music industry than 99% of the world. He worked early on helping Sublime achieve success. He's helped Slightly Stupid become an absolute indomitable force. And now he is blessing our humble podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, all-time guest right here, John Phillips of Silverback Music Management. John, how you doing? I think eh, that's that takes the cake and the best intro yet of any of these <laughs> shows. Man. Well done. That's what's up, man. Definitely. Well, uh, we're so grateful to have you, man. This is uh, this is a great interview. I know Brett, you know, set this up, and definitely we're all pumped to get a chance to talk to you. And I guess before we start, man, I, I'm wondering if you could just kind of paint a picture for the people, let them know how you're doing, where you're at, what's going on in your life, that kind of thing. Right on. Well, uh, what's up, Vibes Live Radio? Uh, glad everyone's tuning in. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm sitting out here in, in Southern Cal, up in LA, and uh, feels good. I mean, it feels like we're coming out of the COVID, you know, tunnel. And uh, yes, yes, we've all been stuck at home and not been able to really enjoy the things we love to do the way we're normally used to doing it. And uh, you know, I think live music coming back I've in the last three weeks after kind of being grounded for a year I went to um I went to New Orleans for Dumpster Funk's record release shows I went to Sedona for a cannabis innovators like entrepreneurs event I went to Colorado New Mexico for the Tico Town reggae uh, festival first time down in Aztec, New Mexico, and uh, then I came back, touched ground, went direct to a Denim's record release party in Huntington Beach at Sea Legs, and saw more music in the last three weeks than I saw in the year before that, pretty much, and and um, feels good. So feels like you know we're back. That's awesome, man. That's great to hear, and and I know you said that the vibes of live radio, which it is because that is the brand of Brett Coleman. Um, but this is also the For the Vibes podcast emerge, uh, emerging of forces. But w- we are so stoked, man, to, to have you. And, and that's awesome getting back to live music. I bought a couple of tickets already to see some concerts. I think I'm seeing the elevators next month. I'm pumped for that. And you're right, man. Music is coming back. And before we get into it, because I know the boys have some questions for you, um, just let the people know kind of what your role is currently i know that you have like a rich history and obviously being you know co-ceo of, of silverback music management that comes with a lot of responsibilities but i think that people might be curious man like what are the actual things that you're working on or what are your responsibilities currently um currently it's really been dominated by a lot of the uh recent record releases um during the pivot from live music we silverbacks always had a, a record label at least since 2007 officially controlled substance sound labs has been our label counterpart and um we started to just you know release more content and start to bring up some some younger artists and some of the new stuff you know that's 
kind of uh, different than just the routine of, you know, well, we're, we're always active as a label too, but in, in this stage, I mean, that's kind of over the last month, as you guys might have noticed, we've put out music from the new, speaking of Phoenix in Arizona, the new Catastro record is out on our label and yes, really excited yes. about that. Um, Denim's new record just came out. Um, we've got... Dumps of Funk's new record, George Porter's new record. Before that, the Reese Brothers came out. Um, just a lot of that. But, you know, we're... The general landscape is Silverback Music's been around since 98. And we really, you know, we're doing... When we got into the digital era, it kind of the music business took a turn out of selling CDs and doing that. And we just we're trying to just continue to adapt and use the technology that's available, you know, to the best of our abilities to promote bands and fresh music and, you know, closer to the sun, which is where we kind of connected. Uh, Brett was that was recently announced. So, you know, there's always an undertaking in terms of booking and curating those festivals. Um, So, you know, the responsibility runs the gamut. We're we're building a company with not only great bands, but also creative, young entrepreneurial managers. Um, Fortunate Youth and Jared Sagawa came on recently. Christian Brandemeyer with with Denim. And uh, we're always kind of looking to expand with people that we share the same values and and culture with and help bring up, you know, the younger bands. And at the same time, um, you know, we can't wait for the return of Slightly Stupid, of Stephen Marley, who's a newer client that we just started working with just pre-pandemic. And there's a lot of exciting things going on behind the scenes. Um, Every day is filled with a combination of responsibilities in all those fields and and then some others, you know. Uh, One thing... Oh, sorry. I didn't, didn't mean to cut you off. I, I just wanted to say one thing before we go too far from it that I just want to call out and, and say thank you for and appreciate just this. What I really appreciate about Silverback, what you've done, your contributions, what you're continuing to do is all those, a lot of the bands and the artists that you mentioned have this same thread, that community thread, that up and coming, that, that ground grassroot thread that has gotten, you know, stupid to be where they are, obviously after 20 plus years of hard work, but doing it in a certain way, which, you know, you're talking about the Reese brothers and, and Catastro and all these other bands that they're in that, that minor league right now, but they're doing it and they're earning it in the same way. And it seems like, you know, you're able to continue to, uh, keep that thread, that, I don't know if there's a tangible word to describe it, but that type of music, that grit, that tenacity, whatever it is that made Sublime stand out back in the day that was the motivation for so many people coming out of this, you're you're just staying true to it. And I just appreciate it. And I just wanted to pause to make that point because that is something that will continue. Being real is not overrated. And I just think it's fucking amazing. So thank you for that. Hey, thanks. I mean, that's yeah. real. That's really the ultimate compliment that you could hear in in my position. And those are kind of hearing stuff like that from guys like you that are also tastemakers, chronically in the scene. That's you know, it's meaningful to me. It kind of gives you inspiration to keep doing what you do. Um, yeah, especially coming after this last year that was just hard on musicians, hard on you know when you made your whole life doing this, and it kind of just gets put on pause in a lot of ways, and you're just trying to. Stay afloat, survive, keep keep the keep the the needle, you know, moving or whatever. Um, it's uh, it's good, it's good to hear that, and you know, I think hey, the future's bright, and going to continue to to do just that, you know. So with all the new ways and talking about the future, so there's there's all this new life, right? And there's all these new ways of marketing, and there's new ways of going to shows, and there's new ways of consuming music. And especially, I think, Closer to the Sun, you talked about that earlier. But beyond just, you know, the the Closer to the Sun, I think there's Cloud9 does, what, eight or ten of these different destination types of concerts where this is a new thing where we can go out and go do this submersive type of event where it's just a complete experience. You have the live streaming that was everybody's somewhat kind of lifeline. Some people really subscribed to it, played every single week. Some people didn't play. Some people put on a production value. I felt like Fortunate Youth, like when they did their first one, it felt like I was at a Fortunate Youth show. Something felt different about it. It felt really good. But 
That was another sidebar, sorry, random thoughts by Brett Coleman. But the point is, we've had to adapt. We've had to change. And, you know, what do you think is going to stick with us? You know, because I don't think the live stream scenario is going to stay the same. Do you think destination type of concerts are going to grow? Or are we just going to get back to, let's get as many backyard club shows, whatever the hell we can do to get that music back? Because that feeling of live music that you were just talking about... That's a that's a drug that you just can't can or sell. It's just beautiful, you know. Yeah, it's like a food, you know, and and uh, people want to eat eat it all up. So I the way that I see is that it's going to happen in all those ways that you're d- discussing. You know, obviously streaming was like the thing we all had to turn to just to see or hear fresh live music because we couldn't go anywhere. Um, that technology's been, you know, there for a while. It kind of needed the tipping point of something like this to push it over the top. And yeah, there's fatigue and there's things like that. But I think there's so much consumption of music and entertainment that no matter what, streaming is going to be a part of the equation, you know, like every show that you go out on the road and do, I mean, not every fan can be there, but they still might be at home that night somewhere halfway across the country and want to tune in. And I mean, I think that's just magical that that gets to happen now, you know? So I encourage any time a venue, I mean, venues should be equipped, bands should be equipped, deliver your, your signal. You know what I mean? To those who want to eat it up and consume it. And you're thankful for that and you know so i think it'll continue to be a real part of uh of the whole equation you know of how people consume music and festivals i mean the demand on closer to the sun uh destination events across the board like i mean dead and companies one and the other cloud nine events i mean they're like selling out on the pre-sales i mean people are just i think they want that experience there's the you know the thing about those events there's only a certain part of the um, fan base that could probably afford to go to those things too so it's like that's also for a certain segment of the people but like the demand is there for that to happen I think over and over again I think hopefully next time around we'll be able to do you know maybe two weekends or bigger things so more people can go uh, would there be any potential of a of a produced like live stream of a destin like not to put it on the spot about closer but just something of that nature to where I've wanted to stream closer for the last few years and um, maybe this maybe this year will be the year that we that we do it we're definitely in discussions about it there's uh awesome. yeah different elements that are challenges doing it in Mexico and with that many bands and sets and you know it's not a it's an undertaking and it it costs money to do. And also the philosophy for, for stupid is, you know, they don't necessarily want to charge their fans that can't be there for something like that. So ultimately for us, how do you deliver it to free for the fans or the, for the best value? So, I mean, as an audio guy, I would think like back a house should have, or or even front of house should have an, uh, you know, in and out at least for the audio. And then it's just one camera, right? That, that shouldn't be too hard. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. well, coordinating it might be kind of tough there, getting the internet connection and all that. There's that, but there's also like it will now the game has been raised so much that you want to deliver something that's yeah. going to be of the quality of the brand because you know at the end of the day we want to put out the best audio video experience. And I kind of relate to you too, that like, you know, I was a deadhead growing up and you waited after the show to see who had the cassette tape of the show you went to. There was none, you know, and I mean, who? it's like, if it sucked, at least you got it. Um, But I think there's a certain adherence to quality. If we're going to deliver something, you know, that wide that we want it to be top quality, not just the like audio feed in one camera. Yep. I mean, John, I don't know if I want anyone personally seeing me on video at a music festival anyways. All right. You know, uh, I, I try to keep that stuff in the closet. Right. So that doesn't come out to the rest of my life. But, hey, I'm going to rewind us back a little bit to something you said earlier. Um, you mentioned that when it comes to bringing on, you know, different bands, different managers and stuff like that, that finding a cultural fit is really important to you. Um, I found that interviewing a lot of different bands, I mean, they talk about what they look for in management all the time, like looking for someone who's and these sound like silly words to say about what's a super important part of a band, just someone chill, someone down to earth, someone that, you know, gets it right. Like, cause this is reggae rock. This isn't like other genres. People want someone 
cool, who just understands that this is about peace, love, harmony, and good vibes. Is it tough to find a manager or be a manager that can be a cool, down-to-earth, love-in-the-world guy and also be all about your business and your money and getting stuff done, like the way it needs to be done? I mean, there's people cut from all different cloths in this business. Um you know, it depends. Some people want different things. I mean, of course, like for me, I've tried to build my company ethos and just what I do on kind of the values that you just said. But um, I think that there's, you know, it's like that Hunter S. Thompson quote about the music industry, which, uh, you know, it's just it's a pretty cutthroat, shady business, too, on a lot of levels, you know, and um you got to be sharp. But ultimately for me, I hope that the artists, I mean, the ones that I'm going to work with are the ones that we vibe with that I relate to and that they relate to me and, and our company. You know, I'm partners with my brother, Matt at Silverback. And, um, you know, we both have different qualities to, to both of our personalities. And um, we're like, you know, we promote a family vibe and, and really try to live the same lifestyle as our clients so um yeah hopefully we're all hanging out and, and vibing like that and sharp in the on the business side as well but uh you know there's also stuff in the music business that's just very product and analytical and you know as digital technology again takes over uh everyone wants to how many instagram likes do you have or what are your spotify numbers uh for me I mean, I always also like to take a bet with my heart, you know, and on something that you just like the sound of. And with all the distractions of everything else that have kind of start, you know, hitting you in the in the music business and just the sensory overload of content and tech, it, it kind of sometimes I feel like it diminishes that process of just believing in something. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping to always are striving to like keep my belief and be inspired in my belief in something. That's what's kind of gotten me through. Interesting. I'm wondering, uh, John, you I know, hope that answers your question. You know what I mean? But, I think Evan was just putting out there that he's a chill dude, but also all about his business. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so w- one question you talked about kind of the evolution of things and you know you've been successful over a span of of decades and and things have changed significantly i know now you know streaming numbers like you said instagram tiktok is now you know a big force out there and somebody who um kind of built their 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 business on the fundamentals back in the day i'm curious do those translate to things now or is now is it kind of a, a new world because you seem to have not just you know uh survived but but are, have actually thrived now kind of you know as things have transitioned so i'm kind of curious like do you just rely on the principles of music management to make it now or is it a new game in your perspective i'm gonna tell it to you straight right now i'm not the tiktok guy okay uh, if you got help on that you know what i mean like yeah. <laughs> um you know, I don't, there's a science to a lot of it and the principles, like I just told you, those are my principles. You know, I want to believe in what I'm pushing and not just be betting on numbers. Uh, but all the, you know, staying up with all the, the ways that are out there. I mean, it's also become the job of an artist too, which, you know, is like the art of actually running your channel, your content, the way that you're interacting with your fans, the organic nature and how you choose to present yourself as an artist. And um, it's great when that's a collaborative process. It's, it's I think it's easier when things organically are, are happening from the artists that subscribe to all that, you know? I mean, some of the artists we work with are younger than us. So in some, you know, instances we... Uh, we're hoping that, you know, that's also part of, you know, what comes along with their art. But we're always trying to adapt, you know, and that is part of survival, you know, is definitely being aware of how these technologies are affecting the promotion of music. And, you know, it used to be all about radio and press. Now it's about social media and playlists. Um, video content, I mean, that's something I always strive to try to 
have great video content with things. So however you purpose that, and that's an important um, component, you know, I think to establishing who you are as an artist um, always has been. It just before was MTV and there's a gatekeeper and, you know, now it's YouTube and you could do it yourself. And there's so much creativity in that world that you don't have to spend six figures on making a music video. In fact, the good ones are the ones that, you know, aren't spending that much. And it's just there's a creative artist that knows kind of what they want and can put on screen. So, um, yeah, I mean think it's uh trying to keep all those things in play absolutely absolutely no that's 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 uh that's incredible to hear your perspective on that one question i'm always interested in, in asking people that um have kind of been a part of the history of this thing so myself personally like i fell in love with the genre of reggae rock by listening to sublime when i was in my formative years and you were actually there at the the forefront of the wave that essentially started in California and has now evolved into what it is today. Um, I'm curious, like, what do you, when you see now that there's bands popping up in South Carolina or Florida or New England, reggae, like really amazing sounding bands like the Elevators, like looking back as somebody that was like a part of the history, do you feel a sense of pride? Is it, do you, do you, are you like, wow, this is incredible to see this thing evolve or like what, how does that feel from your eyes, man? Um, you know, it's, it, (laughs) I love great music. So whatever genre it's going to be like when I hear great music or music that resonates with me, it's, um, I don't always put it in the context of like reggae rock. Like actually that's one of the, things for me that is sometimes I want to call it something else you know it's like I want to figure like because sometimes you get pigeonholed in a genre and perception and for me I'm always like bands that are pushing the envelope. I mean, I respect the bands that do it inside a certain style and come up with a great song. Uh, Cause I mean, that can be two chords and a great melody. And, you know, I don't care who you are. Um, I like so- sophisticated music as well, but like also I like the bands that are transcending the genre and like Bradley Noel, he put like eight genres in one song. Slightly Stupid plays eight genres of music. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. there's different ways of building this fusion that, to me, I feel, for for my own personal, you know, taste in music, like, that's really what I love to hear. Um, and a great a great song. I mean, you know, that's, that's the other, like, side of it. Whatever genre it is, um, there's a lot of great music coming out of the scene that's not necessarily even reggae that's kind of what i like about the newer groups that we're working with too and i mean always about slightly stupid is they're twisting it a little bit you know it's not just like um bubbles and upstrokes and you know like and i saw this interview about brad yesterday that was on barstool sports that was like mentioned slightly stupid and all these bands and the influence and um it calls everything ska i'm like Dude, Ska's just, that's just always kind of been a disturbing thing, too, in the press. Like, Ska, like, is just such a, it's a big influence, you know? And, but it's like a slice of it. And where the really origins of Ska come from, you know, pre-reggae, when Desmond Decker, even Bob Marley were, were playing that beat, that pace music, um... It always kind of, to me, diminishes it. You know what I mean? It's odd. It's odd that that's the one, the marquee of the genres that gets picked. Like you're saying, because there's dancehall, there's reggae, there's punk, there's ska. Like there's all the different pieces of these things that go into each, you know, sometimes one song like you're saying or multiple songs of an artist. But it all seems to pay homage to reggae. And I always said, like, even on the radio shows, like, these are all reggae influenced artists. But it's kind of... I don't know why it is, and I don't think we're going to figure it out right now, but it does seem to be a default to go to reggae influence and, and then the quick, you know, defense of it's not roots reggae. That's not what we're saying. It's just reggae influence, you know, and it pays homage because it kind of all kind of comes around full circle to, I think, that beat that everybody can just get down to that falls back to reggae and at least 
three or four songs. So then it gets that marquee of reggae. Yeah. And the reggae has always been like super close to my heart because I, I got exposed to reggae in the mid 70s. My dad was listening to Bob Marley cassettes and he took our family to Jamaica in 75 or 76. Uh, we were supposed to go see Bob Marley play, but it got rained out. But I mean, I like early reggae and that's a simple thing. You just latch on to that easy rhythm. It's like a heartbeat. And that's, a, you know, that's a big part of it. And of course, I mean, the roots of that of it and our attraction to it goes back to that and by no means like I reggae music um you know my I love reggae music I love funk music there's you know we at Silverback we've done a lot in the New Orleans you know funk music scene and you know work with some legends from the great funk families of New Orleans and there's a lot of parallel between reggae in the 60s 70s and and funk in new orleans because new orleans is like a little caribbean city in the u.s almost it's close to that they were sharing radio stations and you know it was just there's really a lot of parallels you know the vinyl that was being made um reggae rhythms and funk rhythms the meters the upsetters like um so i i like those parallels a lot and and uh funk blues reggae those are kind of really the touchstones in a lot of ways. Speaking of legendary, uh, well, we weren't speaking of them, but that's where my mind hey, was. Sorry. To, say about, to answer and finish full circle what you were asking me for, like how do I see it through my eyes now? And like, like when I was, uh, you know, touched by Bradley Noel early and he was like, nobody knew who he was and everything. I, I really felt like he was somebody that would be a Bob Dylan or, you know, more of this kind of generation, like an artist you could really feel close to and relate to what he was saying and a great American blues or folk artist, you know, and the the fact that that music has had so much influence 25 years later and yesterday was the anniversary of the passing of Brad Noel, the 25 year anniversary and I wrote something on Facebook reflecting on just you know when I heard the news that he had passed um, the, the, the bittersweet satisfaction of it all is just like you know his music went even beyond like that the thought of the influence that it could have in some in some ways you know the fact that this whole scene has spawned from this lifestyle that really you know it started it started there i mean to me it kind of starts with the beach boys grateful dead fishbone chili peppers i mean that's all real california music that was born and bred in california and made its impact forget about what style it is and these lifestyle you know type of of bands that kind of create a subculture that becomes bigger than just the, the music itself. And that's really where uh, seeing it from my eyes in that historical perspective, that's kind of a satisfying, you know, unique thing to have lived over this whole time and seen it evolve like that. Was there ever a chance that the self-titled Sublime album wasn't going to make it? Maybe that seems like a potentially dumb question, but there was a short window right after his passing to when it was released. Like, was there like, was that, I mean, because I think I know that that album brought a huge audience and awareness to sublime. And, and really if that maybe had never hit the airwaves, I don't, you know, I think a whole lot of things would be very different. So, I mean, that was a very fresh thing to have happened 25 years ago around this time. What did, uh, I don't know. What, what was that for you? There is honestly a chance that that record would not have even been made. You know, like there was a Russian roulette element of uh, the behavior, you know, like the behavior of the band during those turbulent times that, um, you know, I was definitely always concerned that you know maybe the, the record wouldn't get made you know um fact that brad and the band survived you know um through that process and got that record out yeah i mean it's them making the record um the politics was inside the labels at the time because there was gasoline alley records a company i worked for mca records a company that was universal there was inner company politics and things that were happening where 
and those companies are so big. They're corporate companies, you know. And Gasoline Alley was a smaller record label co-venture that is who I had signed Sublime to. Universal MCA, they have regime changes, new presidents, new thing. A whole new corporate team would come over. And they're looking at numbers on a balance sheet, not necessarily like listening to music. And there was a transition there before Sublime even went to Austin to make, you know, the, the Paul Leary sessions. If MCA was going to even approve the album budget to get them there to do so. Sublime didn't have the means to do that. That was being funded by Gasoline Alley MCA and then intercompany politics, you know, in a major label. They don't always green light <laughs> everything, especially when things change inside that you have no control over so there was fears like that there was you know fears like fuck is uh you know is bradley going to be alive to make this record um i mean you've probably heard the stories it's widely publicized what was going on even in the recording sessions um and yeah i think we're very lucky that that music saw the light of day and things would have been completely different had that not happened and there definitely was a time period between brad's passing on may 25th of 96 and the record release which was august 1st of 96 um we all sat in a boardroom at universal music it's actually right across the street from my house where i live here well across the freeway but um we had to sit in a boardroom with all of them and say hey like this music really needs to go, you know, see the light of day. The family wants it. It's pretty much all that we have, you know. We had all just spent a great deal of the last part of our lives, like, getting to that point. And, yeah, I mean, by God's will and, you know, a lot of uh, the stars aligning and, and us pushing, you know, it, it did come out. And... I really did feel it was going to have an impact. It's kind of hard in that time, like what's going to happen? Because then again, the label could bungle it. Thinks the label didn't even really know at that point how powerful of a cultural, you know, album they had. It's like I think they thought it could do something, but um, it, it, what I got got put out, and it got put out to radio by MCA, and it was like that first week, every radio station in the country added the song. And that's one kind of was like, oh, shit, you know, we got, we got a hit. And that most of those people, I mean, they saw one Sublime show. Anybody, you know, a lot of the people that were there by that point. And, um, yeah, I mean, posthumously, everything that happened afterwards, uh, we could probably go on for days about the nuances of each release and things that happened. A lot of things that I personally didn't agree with, but that sometimes um you don't have any real control left to do it but you know thankful for all of us all the fans bradley noel his family slightly stupid silverback me you know what i mean like that music is what was our salvation and and still is in a lot of ways you know absolutely yeah 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 it affected a lot of people helped Helped influence a lot of people man and and and, uh john i have one question for you. you you mentioned believing in Bradley early that he could potentially become a cultural icon and you know myself all I've ever heard is the music and and like YouTube videos and documentaries things like that but I'm wondering if you can put into words um what it was that you saw in Bradley that you felt like wow this is this is something here that's different than everything else out there because it proved to be I, I I don't know if maybe you could articulate kind of like what it was about him or how he was or what it was that just made you believe uh, I mean honestly he had like a Motown voice when he really sang and he, he knew how to just write uh, a great melody I don't know the simplicity of just when Somebody like, cause again, I mean, to me, like, you can only polish a turd so much. I mean, this is a dude that could sit in front of you and sing like just a voice of gold with an acoustic guitar and flip the script on a, you know, old Jamaican lyric, turn it completely into his own song with a message. And that also <clears throat> took every little colloquialism or thing from the vernacular of multiple things that came before him. Um, and sampling, like, 
he was just a, a genius in that respect and um, just a new style, uh, a somewhat of a humility and humbleness to him. Um, and, dude, I, I always say, like, he was just an extremely intelligent, like, mind, you know? So it's like if you heard him talk or, you know, he's super well-read um, historically and just – so well versed in history uh he had a wide world view and also just something that you could totally relate to and he just combined some of the elements of the things that were part of my whole dna growing up in musically from bob marley to the grateful dead the punk rock of the descendants or the Minutemen, the hip-hop of krs1 all the and that was it you know nobody had ever done that before um I've said this before too, but the simplicity of just a song like Bad Fish that on first listen on the lo-fi cassette of 40 ounces, I mean, the music industry didn't sit there and go like, oh, that's a big hit, you know? But the way that that kind of a song touched me, it was like, it was bigger than that, you know? And that's really what I could, could say, you know? And he had counterparts around him like Miguel that also had a mind for music and you know obviously the drummers Bud, Marshall, um, Eric was just I mean an unconventional bass player that did things that I don't really see they're not even humanly possible the way that he played Um, but yeah as Brad was like it's like four main elements you could put a micro microscope over sublime and just see the four tracks or whatever and that's all it was but that was as banging as anything you could ever listen to you know uh ruka you know so something like that but yeah all of those things and then just um i mean his his demeanor his smile uh I mean, there were times when he was on and was playing guitar and like, you know, he, he had a punk rock style, but man, and he wasn't always playing with like the greatest equipment or whatever, but his, his soul and what he could do is, uh, yeah. I mean, there's times that I felt like, you know, he could play like Santana or, or Jerry as well, you know, like not the same style, but just being able to express himself with that much pure soul and honesty. And that's, you know, that's rare, really. Yeah, it's just yeah. the complete, complete package on every level. Wow. That's that's incredible. Uh, it, it, it's interesting, too, because I, I looked on uh, Silverback's roster, and I, I, I see you guys have also done some work with Law, um, which, um, you know, people know that the, the front man for for Law is, is uh, Bradley's son, Jacob. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, uh, I know obviously bands move around a lot and work with different different people, but I'm curious if you ever maybe worked hands-on with Law or even what that experience was like. Just it's a trip to think that, you know, having known Bradley and now being able to, you know, potentially work with his son too and what his son's doing in music. I don't know if you can speak to that, but sure. uh, when I saw it, 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 yeah, blew my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, flip the script on on you guys. I mean, you guys tell me what you guys think of Law because they're outside the box of you know just put it in the reggae rock funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's a great honor for me to work with Brad's son. Who, I mean, I met Jacob when he was an infant. Brad carried him into my office one day with uh, with Troy, and Jacob was just born, and he came. Brad was all stoked. Remember, he had the, the shades on, the Black Flies backpack with the, you know, candy apple glitter. And Jake was just in his arms. Jacob still had part of his umbilical cord attached to him. Like, he'd just gotten out of the hospital. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, that's a real trip. One is, like, to think that he's, you know, 25 years old. And it's 25 years from, you know, that point. Like, um I want to do everything I can for for Jacob Noel to realize his artistic goals in, in the music and art world. Um, he's a sweet kid, man. Like all I could say is like he's he turned out so sweet, man, and he's smart and quirky and um, just yeah, innocent and um, but has a real innate talent that. For me, it's really the the 
trippy part about it is that, you know, he didn't really get to grow up with his dad. He only knew his dad till he was, you know, eight months or nine months old. So um, he only got to hear stories about his dad or hear his music or however. And he has this emulation of his dad that is so it's just in the soul it's totally authentic it's totally not manufactured it's something that is just part of his dna and that's a really interesting thing to to witness and be a part of um you know like his influences what i respect about where jacob and law are going like they definitely are not trying to follow the reggae rock trend or do you know i mean i think and to some degree maybe that's they would be more successful short term if they did they're really trying to cut their own path and you know come from a youth culture that uh has different influences and and um that's a longer path to success i think especially because like jacob's voice is so good i mean if he <laughs> think if he did any reggae song and stuff like that people would just be like holy fuck but um he loves tool and maynard and rush and uh tenacious d and you know like feel like those guys are also yeah they're quirky so they're kind of have something different but man uh nick the drummer he's played with mike watt he kind of cut his teeth as a young kid just like learning from mike watt steve perkins greats of san pedro uh influences of sublime uh aiden's a phenomenal guitar player just trying to like cut his teeth and just get better and they have a natural thing the three of them that um they did just record uh 10 to 15 new songs um there's gonna be new music coming out from law pretty soon um they keep doing these really cool i don't know if you guys have seen them but they're doing youtube videos and patreon things it's really just them on acoustic and filming some lo-fi like little creative videos for each song and i'm actually like I just sit back. I just pop up. I mean, I'll find them on social media, you know, be the same time everyone else. And I'm pretty impressed with some of the stuff that they're doing in that respect, too. And, uh, you know, whatever we can do to make more people see that. Um, he's got a, a promising future and is a real talent. And um, I hope that uh, everybody pays attention. That was my first impression of Law. When I saw him, I don't know, it seems like a few years back now. I don't know the date, but it was like, oh. Yeah, you know, like that's that's Jacob No. Oh, that's Bradley No's son. He's not doing sublime stuff. It doesn't even seem like he wants to do sublime stuff. That's fucking awesome. Like that that was my take was like like the, I mean obviously he's paid homage. He was on the house that Bradley built. I've heard sublime covers that he's saying and they sound beautiful. So no you know, not taking anything away from that. But it is cool that he is him. That like he's taking his own genre, he's taking his own style, and I think that that, you know, is the ultimate compliment as an artist and, and having your own self identity and knowing who and what you want to be is to, to, you know, maybe you don't, you can't define the genre, but if you know that you've got the aptitude and the charisma to do whatever the fuck you want, honestly, then do it. Yeah. Takes that confidence. And that's beautiful. The balls to do that, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I mean, I have heard him make some other music that people have not ever heard, you know, cause it's just, I mean, he's, he's, he makes music and he's gone through, a few phases and a few different band members. I mean, Law's been doing it now, like for a few records and, you know, uh, exploring different sides of just growing up and being in a band. And um, yeah, I'm excited for this next chapter for him, for sure. Um, in terms of like hands-on, they're very much, uh, for me, they're kind of to themselves, making their own art and their own craft. and. Um, going about it that way so i'm not really interfering too much in the creative process um uh, i think on this next record hearing the track like you know maybe there's a big rock and roll mixer that maybe puts a spin on one of the tracks and so you know I'm, we'll see about that like that's where i would kind of put my creative influence if there's any um nice. try to help them accomplish making a great video i mean they're already doing cool videos on their own in their living room so again i don't want to totally fuck with what they're doing but i'm trying to expose them to more people in the music business outside of the reggae rock world and inside the reggae rock world as well i mean they did yeah. some dates last year two years ago with bad fish which went over really well i mean there's some really cool shows that yeah. uh, 
uh, with those bands. And um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's refreshing to to have someone like that just be trying to cut his own path. And I, I couldn't agree more. And Evan, I got a request now. And John, if you're okay with it, and if everybody's okay with it, I'm going to throw something out there. When we end the interview today, and we we were talking about the 25th anniversary of Bradley's passing. Now we're talking about Jacob. And I don't think the hair stood up on my arm. I don't got that much on my arm. It just didn't never grew in. What can I say? But they all stood right up when I heard Rivers of Babylon with, you know, Jim Knoll and Jacob Knoll. That is some powerful shit. And um, I think, you know, I, I thank you, John, for your time to talk to us about all these things about your history. And I think we could do this for another couple hours and I would love to have more conversations. But I do want to emphasize that uh, this is the anniversary of a very, very influential person that uh, we're all so thankful to have been able to receive the blessings of his music and by way of you and being a huge instrumental part of that and helping get that to us and everybody else. So, um, you know, I don't want to wrap up the interview, but I told I think we told you 20, 30 minutes and we've definitely surpassed that. So, um, thank you very much for the time, for all of your contributions, for taking the time to talk to us and just, you know, again, keeping that thread of this community at the top of your heart and following your gut because, that's the kind of leadership that's going to make us, this community, this genre stronger and survive as we move forward into the future. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, boys. I don't know what else you got to say. I'm going to, I said my piece and uh, I'll keep it at that. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think the last thing I will say, um, John is first of all, the, the Knicks are up too, and you might be able to catch the end of the game. So that's the good news. If I'm not cutting uh, you guys off. I mean, it's, I'm enjoying the, the conversation. So don't worry about yeah, man. that. I think the the last thing I wanted to do, and, and Brad, I hate to do it because I was like, perfect. Everything you said was well said. But I do want to give some people some hope, you know, and, and I think you talked about how um, you're working with some different artists, Denim, who we hope to get on this podcast soon, just uh, released an album, Catastro. Uh, you know, they're they're putting some new music out there and, and, and got some things coming. They were just she, on. They're awesome. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I, I stopped the momentum. I said I was going to stop. I'm done. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Uh, Question for you guys on that. I mean, how are you guys digging the Catastro stuff? Because this is a band that I've you know, over the years um, at different shows opening for, you know, uh, Expendables and uh, Pepper. I couldn't love them anymore. I'm not just saying that. I love their evolution, the sound. Like, I'm, I'm always proud of Arizona. We represent Arizona, but those like when I moved away from Arizona, I was still like following Catastro came back for the uh, washed record release party that they had out here because for years they always put on a great show, but their diversity and the balance from being able to do something like bones acoustic where you got that just raw feeling and you're still captivated as all hell to moving up to something like with not for sale and you're dropping some hip hop and all kinds of shit and the guys are still playing they're still active in the band they're making all kinds of different shit that is the kind of artist you want to see that's evolution and their show that's coming up i think in july um for their new album release it's just that's going to be a celebration of all kinds of music you gotta think they can play 20 different songs that all sound fucking so that's what I think. Right on. Yeah, the, the album is, the new album is good. It's like, <clears throat> I've seen them over the years kind of as an opening act. And I met them one time in front of the <clears throat> the Joy Theater in New Orleans. I complimented them. They had opened for like, I think, Fortunate Youth and Pepper or something. And I was like, man, yeah, I've been hearing about you guys from all the bands. And it was great to get to see you. And, and you know, pro- and that was in 2018. And uh, <clears throat> I actually had lunch recently with... Um, with um, Stravs and Andy and you know I told them remember I was the guy that came up and talked to you in front of the the New Orleans show and like we kind of thought about it I was like that was you two guys right and they were like oh yeah I remember and it's just kind of cool to come full circle you know two and a half years later or whatever and be putting out the record on the label and getting to see those guys we hadn't seen each other just COVID and whatever but I was rolling through Arizona a couple weeks ago we had lunch Gonzo as well and it was great to talk to him uh you know drummer who I um he just has some great musical knowledge and taste and he was telling me how he's really been learning the production techniques and all that and you know how they kind of found their own mix scenario here and they've really crafted their 
own sound. It's not genre specific. Like you said, it takes there's some slower songs in the record on the new one that are just like real soulful. Like you hear them with just an acoustic tune. Yeah. yeah, I'm ex, you know excited for it's good to hear a new sound, something coming out of Arizona. Shout out to Matt Keller too. Yeah, I mean, that's he's a great producer, man. Keller. Yeah, he he's really putting some good things together. Yeah, good mixes, and I, I got the vinyl test pressing, got to put that on in my, my living room recently, and it just, whole new appreciation when you listen to stuff on vinyl, too, and something like that, that I not, never really heard, even the record, we haven't got seat in, I just dropped it on, and man, it's, it sounds so good. You need a second opinion? I got you, just just send it on over. <laughs> hey, those, those guys are rock stars. Yeah, those guys. Off the guns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Those guys are rock stars, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. The damn thing for sure. Good, good news. And I'm, I'm glad to be trying to rep someone from Arizona like that and get their music out there. And uh, yeah, a lot of great things, I think, on the horizon, a lot of great music to be heard. Um, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag on really too much, but uh, I can't really. But, you know, stay tuned. I mean, I'll come back if you guys want to have me once some other yeah. stuff gets rolling. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Yeah. You're making that back out to closer, Brett? Yes, sir. Room is purchased. And I just got the email today that my pre-day is now available. Nice. So. All right. Well, yes. I'll hook you up this time with some more interviews in advance. We'll get a little more organized. But I appreciate and respect what you're doing and, you know, making the show super pro. And your team's great, man. And I'm honored to have been on this afternoon tonight. Well, thank you guys. Well, thank you. And thanks to JB and Evan for, for making me a part of this podcast, growing the family and expanding the family. And that's what we got to keep on doing, guys. We're going to keep on growing. John, you are welcome back, man, as much as you would like. We got to hear from the original tastemaker. You gave us the compliment earlier. We'll take it. But, uh, you know, we, we would love to hear what you have to say. And maybe we'll get you for one of the uh, positive thoughts of the week segments up sometime soon. Just a little drop in from John Phillips. Sure. Okay. All right. All right. Awesome. Shout out to some IDs. But uh yeah, well hey, I, maybe I'll see you in Arizona for the for the record release for Catastro. I hope so. ZC Keeley's playing a show the same time, but well, the world works in mysterious ways. We're gonna make it happen. All right. All right, man. Thank That's you fine. again. Appreciate John, you. John, great meeting you, man. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Later, Evan, later. All right. <laughs> 